God, we thank you for your wonderful goodness. Lord, that as the scriptures say, that you know the plans that you have for us, plans to help us, not to harm us, give us a hope and a future. And Lord, you just didn't talk about how much you loved us, but you demonstrated it in this, that while we were yet sinners and and at odds with you, you sent Christ to die for us. And in love, he laid down his life on that cross. As you said, Lord, no one takes the life of the Son of God, but I freely, willingly lay it down, that our sins would be forgiven and that you would grant us eternal life just by entrusting our lives to you. God, thank you for doing what we could never do. God, we couldn't be good for a weekend to save our lives. God, <clears throat> we're broken and all messed up, Lord. And we do the very things that we know are wrong. And, and for some strange reason, we find joy and a thrill in that which is dark and evil. God, what does that say about the human heart? But we're thankful, God, that you came to reverse the curse. And now as we take a look, Father God, at what the things to come because you came at Christmas. You came at the first advent to save us from our sins. And you will come again at the second advent to bring us life eternal. And we pray, God, that now as we consider those things, that you'd bless our understandings. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said Merry Christmas and and amen. You may take a seat this Christmas day. It may surprise you to know that one of our most popular Christmas hymns, Joy to the World, was not written with Christmas in mind at all. The author, uh, theologian, and British minister Isaac Watts in 1719 wrote Joy to the World based off of Psalm 19, the the psalm that we read uh, together this morning about the second coming. And now that you know that, uh, it it, it may be easier to see uh, the similarities. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. It's really a paraphrase of Psalm 98. And so it's talking, the song, Joy to the World, about that uncontainable joy of the second advent, and advent from the Latin word to arrive, arrival. So Christians fell in love with that hymn, started singing it at Christmas time, and the rest is history. When you hear that melody, you know that opening presence is just right around the corner. So no matter... No matter, it doesn't matter. Uh, The two comings are really joined at the hip. And even in the Bible, it links them together. Hebrews chapter 9 says, Christ appeared once as a sacrifice to take away sins. He, He will appear a second time, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. And that's verse 28 of Hebrews chapter 9. And so the the purpose of the first coming is to make us ready for the second coming. That is the reason he came. Because there's no point in singing about anything joyful the second time he comes to judge the earth, to judge wrongdoers, and uh, to take vengeance, the Bible says, but not upon people 
who have already been paid for, and we have already been judged believers uh, by receiving Christ and his judgment on our behalf at the cross. And so thank you for that scripture. Yeah, and so, uh, yeah, we, if our sins are paid for, when he comes again, we have nothing but love and joy in our hearts, a great expectation, and, and that is our blessed hope. So I thought it would be nice <clears throat> on Christmas Day, which happens, I guess, every seven years, it falls on, on the Lord's Day, as we call Sunday, uh, to take our cue from joy to the world and take a look at that second advent and what's coming and what's waiting for us who have entrusted our lives to Jesus. Uh, no better book to find out about what heaven's like than the book of Revelation. And the last chapter there uh, puts it this way. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, the Lamb, Jesus' nickname in the Bible because he offered himself as a sacrifice down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb, Jesus our Lord, will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. I'll explain that. Verse 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Now, the wonders of the world to come is really hard to grasp, and John admits it. Uh, John says in 1 John 3 and verse 2, Dear friends, uh, we, we know that we are God's children, but what we will be the exact details have not been revealed. But one thing we know, when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In other words, we'll be morally perfected, and we'll be very much changed, glorified to be very much like Christ. We know that in Philippians chapter 3, it says that he will transform our lowly bodies and into glorious bodies, a body like his. And so we will know as we are fully known. And so yet, then Paul will say, we, we have these things revealed to us, but as though through a fogged up window. And so I guess <clears throat> there's a reason for that. God would like to communicate the details, but can he? I mean, uh, do we have the capacity for that? Uh, I mean, how uh, I love what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. He said, No eye has ever seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the mind of man the wonderful things God has prepared for those who love him. You see, so then how would you describe uh, a beautiful masterpiece by uh, Mozart, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, to somebody who's born uh, deaf? Or how do you describe a beautiful uh, Monet painting to somebody 
who was born blind. Where do you begin? And so the Spirit has revealed some things to us, but it's kind of like driving to church early this morning. It was the foggiest I've ever seen it, and I could barely see anything ahead. But then I thought, okay, there, there's a sign. I can't read the sign but I see the shape of a sign. And so I think in, in many ways, human language is being stretched to its limits for people who have limited understanding. But we have a glimpse here. Uh, four amazing things to encourage our hearts this Christmas day. I want to consider the water of life, the tree of life, the throne of God, and the light of the world. So John, as you know, most of you been, has been getting a tour of heaven, as it were, and uh, the angel has already showed him in chapter 21 uh, of this beautiful celestial city, uh, gates of pearl, the walls adorned with all kinds of precious gems which are named there. The streets are described as gold, pure gold, and, and he says translucent as glass. And so, uh, you know, usually big cities on earth, you know, it ha we have our problems with pollution and trash and crime and ghettos and all of that. But here's this glorious city, man, uh, that's just morally perfected. And best of all, God is there. Here we are told in the previous chapter that he's there dwelling in the midst of us there. And he has wiped away every tear from every eye for there shall be no more mourning or sorrow or death or pain for all of these things will have passed away. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. And so if we talk about now the river of life, we see that Perhaps this is the, uh, I mean, we, we believe that this is literal, but it's packed with a lot of meaning. It seems that everything God does, he preaches a sermon on how he does it and the substance of it. And so there's a lot of meaning packed in here. And so really the beauty of heaven comes from the throne of God itself in what is pictured here as a river of a life. Now, when I was a little kid, we used to visit my grandma and all my aunts and uncles in Methuen, Massachusetts, and they did this thing. They got their water from a natural spring, and they used to, we, and they take us, little kids, and we take these plastic jugs and we go down uh, to this spring, but it, it had powerful, it was like there was a waterfall there, and the spray smelled like uh, uh, after the rain came, that fresh smelling, uh, beautiful fragrance that we love, and this, the sound of thunder, and this water, and they would dip their, 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 their uh, jugs into the flow there, and just, I always thought, why can't we get our water like this, mom and dad, you know, and everything about my grandma's uh, house there uh, was like that, and just, uh, just I have this picture, uh, and here we have this river of life that's giving life to everything, and this is just kind of this, there's something about the flow of water, crystal clear water that we are all drawn to especially exciting to the ancients to hear about heaven in such a <clears throat> description of this beautiful 
<laughs> inexhaustible flow of this life-giving water. You know why it would be really elicit a wow from them, the original hearers? They're living in dry and arid places where water was difficult to find. It was usually murky or stagnant or polluted. If you drank that water, you would get sick. And to their ears and to two-thirds of the world's ears today, this image of this clean, robust, life-giving river of refreshing water is just something that really excites them. And so, you know, we, 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 we love the sound of water. We love the sound of fountains and creeks and the roar of the tides. And uh, is it because in our hearts, down deep is encoded what we're really longing for is the refreshment that we see pictured in heaven that flows from God himself. That is perhaps why we love the water the way we do. I mean, and it's a bit of some madness right now with the bottled water uh, industry and craze. Uh, it's unprecedented. Never in all of human history did humans have to have water next to them uh, imported from Fiji. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, it's just a really kind of weird thing. It's an $83 billion a year business and the idea is the more uh, we, and we've got names for it Li we've, we've got water brands living water and smart water as opposed you don't want to be drinking dumb water <laughs> smart water living water all of this kind of water in the fanciest of that now I, the three most expensive waters that we go for is, is number one this Philico water $1,390 per liter. Now, what they're saying is they get it from icebergs. They, they harvest it from the rain clouds in the Amazon, in the, in the purified rainforests, and all of these modern wild technologies that they can do to water that you can't get anywhere else. And so the next slide, the Nevis water from Germany is $1,180 per liter. And the idea, and there's one more here I've got, it's called bling water. <laughs> it, 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 2000 $600 will get you all three bottles. Now, what they're saying, and, and this is how they market it, it'll make you whole. It, it has healing powers. Uh, you will feel the energy and the youthfulness. And, and it's, it's playing on the, on the sinful condition of mankind that is thirsting and broken and we're looking for that thing that we can drink and feel better about ourselves. And this is what Jesus said. He offers a water that heals us from the toxins of sin, the byproducts of guilt and fear and loneliness and sadness and disappointment, water that soothes and cleanses and satisfies our longings and that cures us once and for all for, from brokenness and uh, strife. And so Jesus said in John chapter 4, didn't he? 
Here, I've got a, a slide here with a bunch of promises about living water. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you have no money, come and drink. This is through cover to cover. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Without payment. Come with no money in the first one, without payment in the second one. And look at what he's always stressing. Closing out Revelation, almost the last thing you read in the Bible, the spirit and the bride, the church say, come and let the one who hears say, come. Let everybody come. Let the one who is thirsty come and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. How much would you pay for a sip of water that solved all your problems, washed all your sins away, put you right with the living God, and grants you eternal life? How much is it? Jesus says, guess what? Good news, it's on sale. (laughs) Because I paid for it. I laid down my life. And isn't that what happened in John chapter 19 when you see our Savior, our God man on the cross which is also called a tree the spear goes through his side and what flows out? Blood to atone for our sins and the water to refresh our lives. This is the picture that God says You're more thirsty than you ever dreamed. And I've got the answer to all of your problems here. The river of the living water speaks of the inexhaustible abundant supply of the love of God our Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the sweet communing presence of the Holy Spirit from everlasting to everlasting. He is God and he's the source of our lives. And he says, quit it, my people. Stop looking for to satisfy your thirst in, from water in wells that cannot satisfy. We try a whole bunch of things, but there's a God-shaped void in your heart and in mine. And until we find the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be thirsting and thirsting and thirsting. Jesus says, come. Take a sip. You won't have to do, uh, you know, costly sacrifice. You don't have to be good and make promises that you can't keep. It's free. I did it for you. Accept it. And that will be, if anyone ends up perishing, the, the sting that will last forever is that it was free. You just had to open your mouth take the water and swallow to avert an endless ongoing tragedy and gain eternal life in a place that Jesus called the paradise of God. Let's get to the tree. Now, this tree of life, wow, amazing. Guess what? You heard about it in Genesis chapter 3. It was there. It was sustaining them. But then God had to put a cherubim in front of it with a flashing sword to keep our fallen parents, Adam and Eve, from taking and living forever because they lost that privilege and honor when they uh, sinned against God by doing what he uh, told them not to do. And so 
There's a theme here. The theme in heaven is paradise lost is now paradise regained. And the tree that was once barred uh, is now made accessible to anyone. And that's the crazy thing. It's the to anyone. It's the free for anyone. And it's to whosoever. No matter what you've done, you may be the biggest loser on the planet and the most sinful of the entire earth, you still can come because he died for those sins as well. So this is an amazing thing, the tree of life. Here the takeaway really is not so much the longevity of life, but the quality, a quality that we can't even know. We think about perfection, but we've never seen it, so we don't know anything about moral goodness and perfection. And it's just out of our mind. You know, Pastor Dave and I were uh, having lunch in Sebastopol and answering all of our calls. And while we were doing that, we got into some conversation with a woman. As she said, yeah, listen to the, oh, we were sharing the gospel. And she goes, eternal life. Oh, that sounds horrible. I don't even want it. And we said, yeah, eternal life here. That's more like the other place than heaven. You see, no, he's talking about a life without woe. <laughs> Just an, it's just something to think about. And here the picture is life just is oozing everywhere. Life flows in the river. Life grows in the trees. It's the ingredient in the fruit. It's in the, in, it's in the leaves. It's in the air. It's everywhere you look. It's life, life, life. But not just any old life. It's pure goodness, light and truth and God and all of this wonder here. Uh, death is gone. So the tree of life means, look, Costco won't be selling any more caskets and, and there won't be any. you never seen that at Costco? <laughs> they do. They sell caskets. <laughs> I hate to tell you that on Christmas, but... No hearses. You've seen a hearse, right? There won't be any of those. No funeral homes. None of that. It really is all about life. Now, we, we get a few uh, intriguing uh, implications here, right? Number one, each tree yields its fruit every month. Well, wh what does that mean? We still mark time. We still mark time in heaven. We, we won't be, one writer said, but not subjected to it in the same, not subject to it in the same way we are on this side of eternity. Apparently, uh, the orbits of the new solar system, because he makes a new heavens and a new earth, they will, they will be in place permanently forever, the orbiting. And apparently, I mean, there's a marking of the months there. And some people wonder if we'll eat in heaven. Well, the best answer to that is, of course we will, silly. Uh, that's one of the joys here, and it'll be one of the joys there. Jesus and his resurrected body in Luke chapter 24, uh, they didn't believe they were really seeing the resurrected Lord, so he said, give me a piece of fish, people. And, and he took it, chewed it up, and swallowed I picture him going, see, ah, look, there's, I swallowed. He a, a, a spirit can't eat a piece of fish was his point. So touch and see, and so he didn't have blood, but he had flesh and bone glorified now. So yes, we can eat, but we don't have to eat 
there. Um, and so that's kind of an amazing thing. The great reunion between us and our Lord is called the wedding banquet. And it's suggested by many that the finest foods from every nation will be represented at that table. What joy. And it's coming to a neighborhood near you if, if you're a believer. Uh, I love the trees with fruit and, and leaves for healing. Um, there's no real need for healing. Really a better translation is it's the, it's the word we get from therapy that it, it's really saying, listen, the source of wellness is steady and eternal in heaven. It, it never ends. People and nations there, groups of people, will never have moral decline. There'll never be disunity uh, for the old things have passed away. Everything is new and God is... Now, Proverbs uses the, the phrase tree of life and listen to how it's associated with what it's associated with. The tree of life is associated with wisdom, goodness, happiness, helpfulness, hopefulness, and wholesomeness. Okay, so we've got the living water flowing through the center of things, and we've got the tree of life on both sides, and we've got the throne of God. This is an amazing thing. And as a, as a direct result of God being there, and he's ruling the world, the curse is no more. It's lifted. Now, just like joy to the world, you see, the second coming. No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. And so there's a picture in Ezekiel of this river flowing out on, on, on a destroyed earth. That everywhere the river goes, and you can almost picture this like a movie, that life starts springing. Everywhere the water touches, and it, and it renews the entire earth so that it's vibrant and full of happy life. So I suppose... If, you, if you're trying to picture a, a, a world where there's no curse, man, the list of benefits, we, we'd, we could be here for a thousand years and still we'd need more time. Uh, uh, no more bad guys, no more troublemakers, no more bullies, no more tyrants, no more liars, no more heretics. I love what, how the last chapter described the place. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And thank God we were cleansed and forgiven, or we wouldn't be in there, right? Because our, our middle name used to be shameful. We used to do terrible things, and we still stumble, even as Christians, doing shameful things. But if your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that means that Jesus died for all those shameful things. And he's given us a new name instead of shameful. Christian. And then when we get to heaven, he says this, for, for them who overcome, and if you're born of God, you overcome. He says, I will give a new name. I'll give them a white stone with a new name that only they know. It's between God and God. And them. Your, your parents, my parents, they did the best they could. They gave us, most of us like our names, right? How, how many of you? No, anyway. <laughs> but God said, nice try, parents. 
But when you get that stone and you see the name God has for you, you'll, you'll be like, oh, that's it. That's who I am. That's an amazing thing. Yo, uh, here's the point. No more downers. No, 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 nothing. No bummers are there. You know, no aging, no disease, no accidents. Bleeding, ble- beauty will not be fleeting. That's a mix of that sentence all pushed together. No more natural disasters. No more earthquakes, Arctic chills, tsunamis, tornadoes, flash floods. Because the earth, when we sinned, the Lord God said in the garden, because of you and this sin, the entire earth is cursed. It's going to be falling apart. That's, you can trace back every natural disaster, every drought, every famine, every pestilence, every pandemic back to the fall. And when the curse is lifted, <laughs> no more of that because Romans chapter 8 says the earth itself will experience at the second coming a, a liberation from its being subjected to futility, you see. The, and, and Romans 8 says that the earth is waiting and can't wait and is groaning. We just heard a groan. What, four days ago we got knocked out of bed by a groan. You know, it was the earthquake where you... Just did you not feel it? The epicenter was one block from my house. <laughs> A little disconcerting when the epicenter is closing in on your neighborhood. No more masks, no more germs. No one loses anything, no one takes what doesn't belong to them. The law of entropy, you know how if you leave something, it'll disintegrate. Over time, things just disintegrate. That will be <laughs> reversed, repealed, as it were. You know, no more political oppression, no more paying taxes. <laughs> yeah, put that. I thought you might like that. His servants shall serve him. What do we do there? We sit around on clouds and play, no offense. <laughs> there will be harps there. Apparently, we, we read about that and the music, but there's things to do. God, God is busy. He likes to work. When they accused Jesus of working on the Sabbath because he healed somebody and they said, you're working, you're violating the Sabbath. He said, oh, my father works all the time. My father's working even now. He works 24-7. And good thing, because if God took a break, we'd all be in a lot of trouble. And he said, and I'm working too. So God likes to be creative. Look at the world. He likes to be productive. He likes adventure. Look at the stories in the Bible. Everything that makes this life fun and exciting and rewarding, the challenges and the accomplishments and the effort and the creativity and the adventure, it's all going to be there, but perfected. All that element is going to be front and center and they shall see his face. Now, how does that go? Thankfully, we're changed so we can take it, but we're going to look into the face who, who spoke and from nothing made the universe. Better yet, who made us, who thought us up in his head, or you wouldn't be here. He created you. 
I mean, what is the essence of you? That comes from God for a reason, designed to live with him forever. And then you're going to finally see the one who designed you in your mother's womb. More than that, who died. This God became one of us and died in your place. What is that hug going to feel like? Well, whatever it feels like, it will never fade. That smile on your face, it will be eternal. That's because he's there. We shall see his face and serve him. I can only imagine, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or be in awe of you and be still? Will I stand in your presence or at your feet? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? That day's coming. You will see him face to face. No matter where you're at spiritually, you'll either see him as father and friend or you'll see him as foe. The choice is yours. And it all comes down to this. A sip of living water. He told this woman who was thirsty at the well, he goes, hey, I'd like a drink. Can you give me a drink? And she says, excuse me? Uh, You're a Jew. You're a man. Why are you talking to a Samaritan woman? And he said, oh, man, if you only knew who it was talking to you, you would ask him for the gift of God and he would give you living water. And she says, well, that's not going to happen, silly. You don't have a bucket. You don't have a rope. How are you going to get this living water? And Jesus says, she says, he says, the water I give, this water, I'm not talking about this water. I'm not talking about that water down there. If you drink of that water, you're just going to need to come back over and over again. The water I give, oh, it'll soothe you. It'll solve all your problems. You won't need to be coming back to this well. And something in his eyes and in the tone of God's voice, because he is God in human form, made her say, sir, (laughs) give me some of that water. She drank of the living water. She believed him. She went back and gave her testimony to the village. And the village came out and said, now, wow, we believe. Not just because of your word, but because we have heard him and know him to be the savior of the world. Jesus saw somebody who was used and abused. She had five failed marriages She's thirsting to be loved and accepted. And the dude she was with then, at the time speaking to the Lord, he didn't even give her the dignity of of marital vows. Just using her. I'm not going to commit to you. You just go and get my water, woman. And she went at 12 noon to avoid all the other women who'd give her a hard time. So she could be there by herself, ashamed, alone, thirsting for the true meaning of life. And there, the life giver says, take a drink, trust me, and I will satisfy your longings. Let's finish up with the light of the world here. God said, 
let there be light. You remember in the beginning, right? Well, did you realize that that's a few days before he creates the sun, moon, and stars? So what does he mean by let there be light? He's saying let there be the outshining of God. Let there be wisdom and reasoning and understanding from God. That's what he's talking about. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the light went out. And that one act of disobedience plunged mankind into coming up on 7,000 years of darkness, spiritually speaking. And so, yeah, now, all through the Bible, from cover to cover, the Lord uses the idea of light and dark as a metaphor. Men, I mean, if you read John, the Gospel of John, in one sitting, just for fun, it'll take you an hour and a half, Write down every time there's light and dark. Get ready to be busy because this whole gospel's about being called out of the darkness and into his light. So let's finish up with this thought that light has come into the world. Jesus said light has come into the world, but men prefer darkness. And that's why for the most part, the world stays away from the gospel because it, it reveals things. That's what makes people uncomfortable about it. Let me show you and close out with this light dark thing uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at this. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief speaking of the second coming. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober for those who sleep, sleep at night in the dark and all of that. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. We, we belong to the day. Let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So what's coming is eternal light. We don't need the sun. Something that we can't understand. But there'll be a light that's even better than sunshine. It will come through God. And he says, listen, what started here on earth when the light of the world came into your life and lit up the darkness, you're going to a place that's absolute eternal light. No darkness at all. Now, those who are now, now through faith in Christ, sons of light and children of the day, we get there where it's day eternal summer those who love darkness and belong to the night are assigned to that very thing Jesus called it outer darkness and night why because that's what you preferred but those who preferred light children of light now in the kingdom of light this is what he describes there in those closing verses there. We can go back to the text. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this glimpse of glory, this uh, scene here 
in the celestial city, which you call paradise, which is heaven itself, God. We, we get what you're trying to say. It's, it's comforting to our hearts. Help us to live in worthy ways. God, just to say thank you. And help anybody here, God, who just thinks it's all kind of, uh, we've made it up and it's our ma- you're our imaginary friend. Would you help them, Lord, to understand their own thirsting and hear the call of the Holy Spirit to come to Christ and drink freely of the waters of life. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.